Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post-game live here on Time Dropper. And this time, this is the real deal. Are we ready, everybody? The postseason is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I don't like the regular season anymore in the NBA. Everybody knows that. It's a drag. It's annoying. I do it because I make content and I'm growing my channel, but I don't always enjoy talking about it. This is what I enjoy talking about. I can't wait to come live, watch these games, talk about these games, the play-in, the playoffs. This is where it's at. Coming to you live from Los Angeles, California, as always. You know the deal. Make sure to follow us on everything. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Dime Dropper Pod. And, of course, subscribe on YouTube to the channel for everything NBA and, of course, LA sports. Because with this Laker win... All three Staples Center tenants are in the playoffs confirmed for the first time since 2013. It is a great time to be an L.A. sports fan, at least in my opinion right now. If, you have a, if you're a Kings fan, a Clipper fan, or a Laker fan, your team is in the playoffs. If you support two of those teams, like me, then it's also a great time to be an L.A. sports fan, man. Staples Center is going to be rocking. Tonight it sounded like it was rocking. This was obviously the first Laker home game that was sold out for a postseason event. Since 2013 Game 4 that I was at against the San Antonio Spurs with my uncle, it was not anything like tonight. So in this live, I'm going to be talking about both playing games that happened tonight, the Lakers and the Timberwolves, and of course the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. Watch both start to finish, loved every second of both. Not always the best basketball being played, especially in terms of the Laker-Wolves game down the stretch, but I love competitive basketball where both teams are playing hard and there's a lot on the line and that's what postseason basketball is and even though I'm anti-playing I am anti-playing because I still believe that it's just you already had 16 teams out of 30 make the playoffs in the NBA so just doing this in my opinion has only given them a bigger safety net to load manage more in the regular season but that's not the point I'm just going to talk about the games tonight and the Lakers and the Wolves. So going into this game with so much drama surrounding Minnesota, Jaden McDaniels punching a freaking wall or something, fracturing his hand, and then you had the Rudy Gobert punch on Kyle Anderson, suspended him from this game. That was a team decision, and like many people predicted, I think it ended up being a good decision, one that helped them. I was anti it. I thought, you know, you got to play him. It's, it's you know, winner go home kind of scenarios. If you lose two games, you're out. And I thought that if Kyle Anderson and Rudy are over it, you just got to keep, like, just fuck it, you know? Forget about it. It happens. You play. But they wanted to send a message to control your emotions. And honestly, with Carl Anthony Towns at the five spot where he, you know, began his career and has played his whole career, I think it actually did some beneficial things to the Wolves because 
they're able to now spread the Laker defense out. And Anthony Davis, you know, guarding Cat, that was a great matchup in this game, back and forth, two number one picks from Kentucky. I think Cat, the way, this is what makes him the most, I think tonight is a perfect example of why Carl Anthony Towns is the most frustrating player in the NBA. Because he has moments like that first quarter, like the first half, where he's just dominant, he's demanding double teams, he's catching the ball in the mid post, he's not settling as much. And then there are other times, like at the end of a game, where he's not assertive, he'll get small guys switched onto him and want to face up. I mean, it's just ridiculous sometimes, man. To me, he has such a low basketball IQ for a star, and it just came out in this game, but not in the beginning. And by the way, I want to say to everybody, you got to check out my latest video on the Dallas Mavericks collapse this season with SJ and Bibbs, two Mavs fans that have Mavs podcasts. They gave an in-depth breakdown about everything that went wrong with Dallas, and I timestamped it. So you know every single category. If you don't want to listen to the whole thing and you just want to know what happened at certain points of the season, timestamp that for you. And I'm going to be having playoff previews, multiple, at least one released every single day leading up to Saturday. So be on this channel ready. You're going to get no, I don't think you're going to get much better content anywhere else. Definitely not on ESPN or Fox because I'm getting authentic fans from their team to come talk. And I'm really going into my bag for this one. Already got some for the Mavs. Tomorrow is going to be Knicks and Cavs preview. You can already expect you're going to see some fireworks on that one. But let's get right back into tonight. Minnesota started with Mike Conley, Slow Mo, the great Kyle Anderson, of course. Kyle Anthony Towns, Torian Prince, and the Ant-Man. So Torian Prince and Kyle Anderson starting in place of McDaniels and Rudy Escargobert. Lakers with the starting lineup that they've been running throughout the end of the season. That is Austin Reeves, D'Lo, LeBron, Jared Vanderbilt, and Anthony Davis. And the Lakers got off to a cold start offensively. LeBron was 0 for 3 on his jump shots. D'Lo took two ill-advised shots in my opinion. And, you know, D'Lo is a tough shot maker, right? But sometimes you can just kind of tell when contested jumpers are right for certain guys and when they're not. And that all depends on rhythm, game flow, the possession. And D'Lo, the two shots that he took, I thought could have been passed up. That he started, the first two shots that he missed. And in the first quarter, the only thing keeping the Lakers kind of afloat was Anthony Davis. He was 3 for 6. He was active on the offensive glass, getting rebounds over Carl Anthony Towns. And just, you know, show, making his presence felt. But Carl Anthony Towns, one thing I really liked about the way he approached the first quarter, two buckets in the mid-post. Again, I'm always in favor of centers catching the ball in the mid-post area or in the post, not just dilly-dallying at the top. All you fucking young fans, the Gen Z, the modern fan, they love these big men that shoot a bunch of jump shots. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty and you do that bullshit against guys that are smaller than you, you look like a fool and you are hurting your team, just like Carl Anthony Towns tonight. So miss me with that shit. I'd rather have a Patrick Ewing. Okay, and by the way, some of the most of these centers in the past that were good could shoot mid-ranges. So for all those people that say that these centers couldn't shoot, total bullshit. I can name like six, seven role-playing centers in the 60s that could shoot. So just because the 2000s had a different archetype doesn't mean that was accurate of the whole history of the NBA centers. So just want to make that clear. Basketball conviction. Take advantage of your size. And that's what he was doing in the beginning. He had two buckets in the mid-post, one over AD, one over Rui Hachimura, and then another time where he had Malik Beasley on him. I wasn't a huge fan of his approach, 18 feet away, ripped through like he was a guard, but he got by him and was able to, you know, bully him a little bit and score. He was off to a great start, and a guy that was just absolutely on fire. He's a clipper killer, but tonight he was an L.A. killer, Mike 
Conley. He was not hitting rim on his threes. And this game kind of reminded me, at least in the first half for Minnesota, of that Knicks game that I watched a couple of weeks ago. The Wolves just could not miss, mainly Torian Prince and Mike Conley from three. And that was what was happening in this game. And I got to, you know, schematically explain what was happening with why the Lakers are struggling so much defensively because the Lakers have been one of the better defensive teams in the league since the trade deadline, since they brought in Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura and those guys. But what was happening was Carl Anthony Towns isn't a pick-and-roll big. He's a pick-and-pop big. So AD, who has been absolutely out of his mind, not even out of his mind, just he's so good in drop coverage, right? He does a great job of playing the ball handler and the rollers, so you don't really have to sink and rotate. He lets you kind of play the two-on-two game because he can guard two at once. Now, with Anthony Edwards with Mike Conley, who can get in the lane and make plays, AD needs to step up. That leaves Carl Anthony Towns open for three in those pick-and-pops, and since the Lakers wanted to take that away, they would have their rotations crisp, usually leaving Kyle Anderson open. So they were leaving Kyle Anderson open a good amount, and slow-mo for the most part, you know, he knocked down some shots early, two for five from three overall in the game. So 40% from three is, as the Wolves coaching staff and fan base, you're going to take that from Kyle. And with... Carl Anthony Towns getting, you know, guys switched on to him through rotation and all that. He was starting to take advantage. So when Cal was getting most of his success, having most of his success, it was not with AD guarding him. So because he kind of spread the Lakers defense out, that made it harder. And also, I thought in the first half, LeBron had shown me that he was more engaged defensively in this game, which I'd hope he'd be, than throughout the season where he's been poor defensively in my eyes. But he had some some good plays defensively in the first half, like anticipating passes. You know, there was one or two steals he got um, a couple of times where he had some decent rotations, but there were other times where he totally fell asleep roaming. He had five points scored on him. One of them was a nice three by Mike Conley, but the other one, Kyle Anderson, it was classic LeBron defense where he forces you to his left, even though he's just standing up straight. He's not really bending his knees or moving his feet like that. He's letting you go left, but if you go with your right hand, he'll stuff you. He knows the weaknesses of NBA players in this era. He knows. People aren't going to go to their left and stop on a dime much. Um, that's why if you go back and watch, he's done that for a long time, by the way. He sometimes will let guys get the step and he'll swat them off the glass. But a big counter to guarding LeBron because sometimes he's fairly disciplined when it comes to shot fakes. If you go to your left and just stop on a dime the way Kyle did there, go back and watch the 08 playoffs, game five and seven against Boston. Pierce, like, did that to death with him. Like, he couldn't do anything. And LeBron played good defense on Pierce in that series, actually. But in my opinion, it was just that shots that Pierce always makes just didn't fall until the end. But LeBron's defense in the first half, not so great. Anthony Davis's defense, also not so great. Not because he was playing bad defense, but just because the way the Wolves were playing was not letting him dominate and drop coverage like he usually does. And I was surprised, honestly, that the Lakers weren't switching that action because of that. They, they waited a while to switch. And I'm going to make mention something that really stuck out to me. But I also want to say, Carl Anthony Towns is passing when he was starting to garner double teams and garner attention on the drive. He has two over-the-head passes to Nikhil Alexander-Walker that were, I want to say, Sabonis-esque. And the Wolves led the Lakers 28-22 to after one. The Lakers played a 10-man rotation, but it was really a 9-man rotation. And when they went to the bench, you know, obviously they're going to stagger AD and LeBron. But in that second quarter, they went with the lineup with Reeves, D'Lo, and LeBron all on the bench at once. And I think that is a no-no for this Memphis series. You have to have 
two of those four players in at once, in my opinion, because, you know, you basically threw out LeBron with Rui, Troy Brown, Dennis Schroeder, and, like, who was the other guy they played? Malik Beasley. So you're basically having Rui Hachimura play the five. And because the Wolves were so shorthanded at that position, you know, they only played, they played this Nathan Knight character for two minutes. But other than that, they played an eight-man rotation. And it was really, I mean, the starters all played over 40 minutes for Minnesota. So they really leaned into the starters. Every single one playing over 40 minutes is like, it's not crazy, but I mean, it makes sense given that they were shorthanded in this game, but that I don't I don't think that's a good look for the Lakers personally. It becomes very dependent on LeBron and Anthony Davis to do things. And Dennis Schroeder, like he didn't really have it going yet in the first half. And again, in both halves, I really think that Jared Vanderbilt is underutilized. I feel like he's the Terrence man for Darvin Ham. Dennis Schroeder is the I don't want to call him the Reggie Jackson or the Marcus Morris because Dennis Schroeder actually has done positive things in the court and does I mean look no further than the second half tonight but I think just because I'm such a defense first guy you're listening to a defense first guy talk so of course I'm going to say more Vanderbilt minutes but there's a clear issue with him on the floor offensively that the teams don't guard him I think he can exploit teams on the offensive glass though in that way and I also don't think he's been as bad actually shooting the three percentage wise you know lately to end the season but in this game over I mean he only shot one time from three so like I don't know. His plus minus doesn't look very good. So you let me know, Laker fans, if you agree with that take. Again, I want you to comment in the video, comment on the chat, whatever you think. But I don't know, man. I think Jared Vanderbilt disrupts things defensively. And the Lakers looked weak at the point of attack tonight. Like Austin Reeves, he did not have a very good game. He had a good stretch in that second quarter. So like perfect segue. When the Lakers came back in, the starters with Reeves, with Vando, with D'Lo, with AD and LeBron, they started turning up. LeBron had a slow start, but he got going by getting to the rim, whether it be transition or just cross-matched. I think LeBron the last two years has done a better job of taking advantage of like broken plays and you know cutting to the basket a little bit more than he did in the first two years, first three years he was here really, and just finding ways to get those gritty, dirty points, putbacks or whatnot, even when his shot's not falling, and that in turn gets him into rhythm, and then his jumper starts falling, which is exactly what you saw tonight. He's an experienced player, get to the line, get some easy buckets, then he hit the mid-range in the drop coverage, then he hit a three to end the first half. He had like 12 or 13, I think 12 points in the second quarter, so he started to get going, and AD, you know, the one thing I didn't like was he only shot like two shots when he came back in in the second quarter. The Lakers have to continue to keep him engaged but he also when he comes i've been having this problem with him for three years since he uh after the championship when ad comes back in the game for his second stint in the first half he needs to come back in and like be aggressive not just oh you know i'm just, I'm just i just got back in the game i'm gonna let myself ease into it hell no bro this ain't the beginning of the game you gotta still dominate on the offensive end i'm not concerned about him as if you're a laker fan don't be concerned about his defense it's the offense but the Lakers trailed. I mean, you know what's funny is they actually took the lead. They took the lead go uh, in the second quarter, 47 to 46. 
And then the Wolves gained it back 51-49. to And by the way, I want to say, the Lakers tried Wenyan Gabriel for two minutes, but when Carl Anthony Towns had anyone else besides Wenyan Gabriel on him in that, in that second unit, he was cooking. He was cooking, and when Cat came out of the game, the Wolves were struggling a lot because Anthony Edwards, he just didn't come to play tonight. His jumper was off, and then he just stopped being aggressive. The one thing I'll give him, his defense was really good. Like, all night, he was moving his feet. He's improved a lot on that end. Using his length to deter guys at the rim, his help defense was sharp. He was super engaged at that end of the floor, but it was still not nearly good enough. And because Conley, Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, and Carl Anthony Towns were all having such a good game, that's the only reason this game was close and didn't do nearly enough in a game without Gobert and McDaniels for them to even be in this game. But because the other guys played well, they got away with it. And I, I have to say, he's still defending, so it's not like he's doing nothing. But... Cat was killing the lineup with Reeves, D'Lo, and AD out. And I thought somebody who just didn't give the Lakers anything and I think played a little too much, 17 minutes for him, was Troy Brown. Not hitting threes, you know, missing wide open ones, not doing much defensively, just not doing much of anything, just missing shots to me. One for five from the field. I just didn't see much in there. And I, I don't think Troy Brown's that good. I've been saying that for a while. He's an average player in the NBA, of course. He's amazing in general. Every NBA player is for me, in my opinion. But he's not all that. And I think that Vando should definitely get more minutes. Like, sacrifice some Troy minutes for some more Vando. But starters come in, let the Lakers go from offense, defense to offense, and that's when the crowd really started going. And I want to give a shout-out to the Laker fans tonight. It, was, it sounded electric in there. Um, I think the TNT mics, by the way, the last four or five years, I don't know what it is about Staples Center, but they've been doing it's – it's, the sound has been weird the last couple years at Staples Center. I don't know what that is. But it sounds a little muffled at times, unless it's, like, really, really loud. And I think the Laker fans were awesome in this game. You know, 10 years they've been waiting. And I got to say this about Laker fans, you know, and I tweeted this because it's true. When I went to first-round games 10 years ago, this is literally just being objective. They weren't nearly close to Clipper first-round games because for us it felt special. For the Lakers it felt normal because Kobe would get them there every year. It doesn't get really lit till at least the conference finals. That was for the Lakers in the 2000s in the early 2010s because they had that standard. But now they missed the play, their longest ever playoff drought, some of their worst seasons ever, and they missed the you know COVID. It's been 10 years since they've gotten an atmosphere like that. And I'm going to be honest, I was at both those Laker games against the Spurs in 2013. There was nothing like that. And I was at the game. I don't think we've seen a Laker playoff game like that since 2012 Game 7 against the Nuggets or maybe even one of those OKC games in 2012. But just seeing the Laker fans like that, I, I, even though, you know, I get on them and it's, you know, the banter, Clippers, Lakers, uh, I felt happy for them in that sense that they got to experience that again because I always say it's more fun when L.A. is rocking, dude. It's an L.A. sports channel. It's an L.A. sports hub. All playoffs long we've got you covered. Laker postgame, Clipper postgame, Kings reaction, Clipper vlogs, Kings vlogs, if I can get a ticket. It's going to be amazing. And I'm going to be posting updates at all times, man. This is an L.A. sports hub. L.A. against the world. You hate us. You hate us. What's the staying? You hate us because you ain't us. You with us or you against us. Fuck everybody else. LA versus the world. Gangway. But anyway, yeah, Laker crowd was good getting into it. But the Lakers, they ended the first half terribly. Three turnovers to close. They didn't score for the last two minutes. Uh, Mike Conley was incredible. Kyle Anderson was amazing. And the amount of steals that... The Wolves were getting mainly Conley and Kyle Anderson getting deflections. So many hands on loose balls, stripping guys. In, in Kyle Anderson's case, he's just got amazing hands. Like long arms, he blocks shots, he gets steals. Am I surprised? Fuck no. 
That's the second my second favorite college player of all time, Kyle Anderson, who was amazing when the UCLA Bruins won the Pac-12 tournament in 2014, the last time they won. It's, there's nothing like slow-mo, and I'm so happy for him and the impact that he's made at the NBA level, but also something to watch. First half, AD battling with Kyle, got a little shoulder stinger. Um, just keep your eye on that. He was grimacing a little bit at times in the game. But I want to also say this before we go to the second half. Austin Reeves, his only good stretch in the game to me was that second quarter. And I like Austin Reeves a lot. He had that and one. He had MVP chance for a second. But he didn't have a great game. I thought he kind of struggled defensively and was bodied a little bit. And offensively, he got a lot of good looks from three and he just couldn't hit. He was 4 for 13 in the game, 1 for 5 from deep, 12.6 rebounds, 3 assists. Also, 3 turnovers, though, for Reeves. The Lakers turned the ball over 20 times, but thankfully the Wolves also turned the ball over 20 times, so it evened out. Second half, I thought the Lakers clearly stepped up defensively, and I noticed a change in strategy. Anthony Davis was hedging the screens hard beyond the 3-point line, so they what their objective was, let's take away the pick-and-pop loop pick and pop look for Cat. If you're going to get the ball to Cat, you have to throw it over the top, and it has to be a good pass. With that pass going over the top, that gives the Lakers more time to rotate, but it was causing the biggest problem in today's NBA when doing that, as opposed to back in the day, the spacing. Now you're playing four on three, having to cover all that ground. That's where Mike Conley was splashing threes from everywhere, but at least it was taking the ball away from Carl Anthony Towns. And Carl Anthony Towns started doing the same bullshit we saw last year against Memphis. Getting in foul trouble, he had four fouls. But that being said, Kyle Anderson, Mike Conley, these guys were hitting shots, Torian Prince too, and the Wolves went up 15. Even though I thought LeBron's effort was better, you know, better one-on-one, AD was starting to affect shots around the rim. D'Lo, though, was still having a tough game. I mean, he couldn't get anything going. And I'm not going to lie, it was a bad look for Conley to outplay D'Lo like that in a game like this. Uh, Makes the Wolves front office probably feel a little bit vindicated. But Lakers go down 15 after a Kyle Anderson corner three with six minutes left in the third quarter, and they call timeout. Mike Conley is unconscious at this point, and... But slowly, the Lakers started making a push. I think it begins with Dennis Schroeder making some shots, LeBron making some shots, but it was really Cat coming out of the game and Anthony Edwards not having it. They really struggled with Cat out of the game. They just could not generate offense enough. And Anthony Edwards, I mean, I expect so much more of him. He was so not aggressive, so not aggressive, just dribbling way too much. He didn't seem to know how to de- deal with the load up like that. I mean, he made some good passes, but... Very disappointed. There was no in-between game for Ant. None. And I'm disappointed in him because I really like the guy. At least he was guarding, though. But in the second half, you saw no Wenyan Gabriel. So what the Lakers did now is they're going small with Rui at the 5 again, but with Carl Anthony Towns out and the Wolves going with Kyle Anderson at the 5, now you can play small with small. And by the way, so I also want to – I'm going to keep saying this because now that we're in the playoffs, I can just keep talking my shit – All you people that want to talk about bigger, faster, stronger with today's NBA are fucking blind. You're not looking at the game. Maybe you can say faster because, yeah, the speed of the game has picked up since the 2000s. But bigger and stronger? You're telling me with these pipsqueak-ass lineups that it's bigger and stronger? Some of these lineups would have been laughed off the floor ten years, five years or six, seven years ago. Are you crazy? Kyle Anderson at the five? Bruh, don't even get me started with that shit. 
the narratives that people people are so brainwashed i swear to god and i'm gonna i'm gonna lay into some of the iq shit at the end of this game don't worry i've been so generous guys like about the modern nba this year like everybody calls it hating i call it being realistic and knowing how to apply context in different eras because y'all not watching the tape like me okay i'm not saying one era is better than the other but there are serious flaws with this shit and y'all want to overlook every single one of them because it's the new thing and if everything gets better with time you're like suck my dick dude but anyway let's continue the Lakers make a little bit of a push. A little bit is an understatement. Actually, no, it's not. Make a little bit of a push. In the last three minutes and 41 seconds of the third quarter, Rui at the five versus Kyle Anderson at the five. <sighs> I want to say this, man, and it's it like really pains me to say it, but the last two times I've seen my favorite college player of all time, Jordan McLaughlin, against the Lakers... He's looked like he hasn't belonged on an NBA floor. Like all the criticism that people said about J Mac and, and USC, he's too small. His jumper's not good enough. All that stuff, like he was coming true. He's just his confidence is low, and he has to make those open shots. If they're not going to let him, because the thing is, in the first half, he was not bad defensively at all. He was actually getting into players' uh, airspace. He was contesting. He made some really good passes to open guys. But he needs to make those open shots or else his confidence is going to wane. And then they're going to go at him defensively and actually just play him off the floor. And that's exactly what happened. So Conley had to come back in early. I, 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 I you know, that's my guy. Like, I, I just feel such a common, like, play style with J-Mac. Like, as a smaller guard, you know, I just related to him so much. You know, that's my guy. So, it's especially with how much family he probably had in the building. It's just, there was a couple times he went to the basket and LeBron and AD just swatted him like he was a little kid. But... J-Mac, I'm hoping you bounce back against the Pels, dude. I really do, because right now the Wolves are thin. He only played, what, 10 minutes? Zero points. He was a minus 10. He was 0 for 5. So I don't like, you know, you don't like seeing that. Jalen Noel, 9 points on 4 of 7 shooting. He wasn't bad, actually. He gave him a boost, but it was a starter-heavy game. The Lakers outscored the Wolves 30-26 to after 3, which took us into a fourth quarter where the Wolves were up by 7. A fourth quarter where the Wolves were up by 7, but the Lakers were gaining in momentum. Carl Anthony Towns came in. Mind you, he had four fouls and got a fifth foul like a dumbass. Listen, man. Carl Anthony Towns, he doesn't seem to learn. He acts like he's not in foul trouble at all. That was a clear loose ball foul. AD, you know, did a little swim move, got around him. And then Carl Anthony Towns pushed his shoulder down with his arm. So clear in front of the refs. Like... He his so his basketball and then he makes that smile like he didn't do anything wrong like oh my god I don't know about that one like dude are you kidding me I don't know he's ridiculous and considering how big of a, a game like I don't want to say how big of a game it was but with how much weight he was carrying in this game and in the fourth quarter only 31 points were scored total in the game now of course that was better defense and the, by the way this was such a poorly officiated game the Hawks Heat game I thought the officiating was great. I'm going to get into that game. I thought the officiating was great. But this game, the officiating was dog shit. It, they were letting them play so much. And then they randomly called these weird fouls. And in my opinion, it was once... Even the, the stats will disagree. But to me, it was really one-sided against the Lakers, dude. At times, it was egregious. I thought they were so much more aggressive going to the basket. And they still were getting really weird calls against them. But, um... By the way, shout out to everybody in the live chat. You know, 50 people in here. Um, I'm, I'm going live a little bit earlier tonight because I've been going live way too late. But I'm happy to see everybody in here. Super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Every donation counts. 
Always helps me get better equipment. Now we got a gaming chair. We got StreamYard in 1080p. We got um, we got the Laker background green screen. You already know what it is, man. Super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. But I really appreciate the love as always. This playoffs gonna be huge. Let's see if we can. Can we get to 5,000 subscribers by the end of the by the end of the postseason? Can we by the end of the season get to 5,000? We just got to 4,000. That's my year goal. If we can get there before the end of the season, going into the summer, we're gonna have so many guests on. And I'm actually going to come through with that. Woof, we're cooking. But fourth quarter, AD was starting to cook on both ends. But my problem with it is it's all in the roll. It's all in the pick and roll or on broken plays or on offensive rebounds. AD is not a roll player, no pun intended. He needs to get the ball. He was drawing double teams in the first half. Get the ball. Demand it. You're supposed to be the best player on this team now. LeBron cannot be doing all that every single night against Memphis. He can't. They're too young. They're going to run a lot. And look, yes, the game slows down in the playoffs. They're going to run a lot, though. They're going to run a lot. AD needs to dominate. He needs to dominate offensively. He can't. They, the Lakers got very lucky tonight, too. Very lucky. You know, This Memphis team is a lot better. Even without Xavier Tillman. Um, not Xavier Tillman. Even without Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, that Grizzlies team is much better than Minnesota. So AD needs to dominate, not just on the score on the roll so much. Fourth quarter, you saw Lakers switching more. Going with Dennis Schroeder as their smallest guy, but you didn't see Troy Brown anymore. Um, you didn't see D'Angelo Russell anymore. No Malik Beasley. So Lakers are switching a lot. And Carl Anthony Towns, you know, another big problem with him is when he has smaller guys on him, you saw it against Vando tonight, he oftentimes feels like he needs to stiff arm guys to create space and separation, even though he's so much bigger. That's a skill flaw, by the way. You shouldn't have to do all that. And that's also, I think, made him hesitant at the end of the game because he's afraid he's going to get an offensive foul. That's why he settles and faces up against 6'4", dudes. I mean, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Austin Reeves was switching on to Carl Anthony Towns, and I love that the Charles Barkley and, and Shaq after the game were grilling his shit because how long are we going to see this seven-foot guy who we saw dominate with jump hooks at Kentucky do this bullshit? Because you can literally be not that far behind him beating Jokic. You really could average 30 a night. I swear. You're so talented. But you, you're you stupid as an NBA star. Like, I'm not being mean. You are not a smart basketball player, Carl Anthony Towns, for an NBA player, for a star player in this league. Doing that dumb shit. Austin Reeves, 6'4", decent laterally. You want to play against him 18 feet away facing up? Okay. It's so much easier to load up, too. Especially when you got guys like Anthony Davis and LeBron out there covering ground. But um, also the adjustment defensively for the Wolves was they were putting Kyle Anderson on AD and then having Carl uh, Anthony Towns against Vanderbilt or Hachimura to be a weak side helper. And then also keep him out of the foul game. So that was an adjustment that Finch made. So, yes, I think Vando should play more. AD, by the way, played the whole fourth quarter. LeBron played the last seven minutes and 35 seconds. And Ham went with a little bit of an interesting strategy of defense offense, Hachimura and Vando. And one thing that I found interesting about Ham's strategy in this game was the Anderson-Edwards pick and roll, he wasn't switching. And I remember one time in the third quarter, LeBron dropped. Like I don't think he knew if he was dropping or if he was you know blitzing. But Kyle Anderson scored his second push shot in that short roll. And LeBron looks at Darvin Ham like, dude, what? I think what he was saying in that moment was we should switch that because Vando and I, we're, we're big. You know, we can switch. And Darvin Ham made a 
come together sign. Like, I think he wanted more pressure. You got to meet, you know, come out harder and show harder on that screen so that pass isn't as easy. I agree with LeBron on that if that's what he was advocating for, which I assume. They can switch the wing-wing pick and roll. So that's what I got to say about that. But anyway, the game comes down to the nitty-gritty, 95-90. I still felt the whole way that the Lakers were going to win just because it means a lot when you have the two best players on the court. And they did because Anthony Edwards... Yeah, he's not better than LeBron and AD, and he's not. He can be better than them on a given night. Tonight wasn't that night. He wasn't doing shit. AD put the ball in uh, from around the key. Everything was like a layup or something. Made it 95-92. Then LeBron hits a three to tie the game. Big shot by Braun. And then coming back the other way. And by the way, I think LeBron's defense in the second half was much better. Uh, I think you saw much better effort than you saw in, obviously, the season. He comes back down with a tie game. Carl Anthony Towns has five fouls and is now switched on to LeBron. And LeBron settles for three. That was a complete momentum fiender. Highest basketball IQ ever, though, y'all tell me. The only excuse you can make is that he was tired after shooting that three. And he didn't want to go to the rim. Because that was just a momentum fiending shot. And I get it. I know LeBron's game as well as anybody. I always say I have a PhD in Braun. He, when he shoots a three and makes it, he almost always will look to shoot that next one to see how hot he can get, which is, is normal. I, 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 uh, I back that strategy. But with Carly Towns with five fouls, you get him that sixth foul, that game is not even going to OT to me. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I still think it's a bad decision. He misses the three. They let, get lucky. We'll uh, get another chance. He misses a clear-cut bank shot. That's not really his shot, though, going right, bank shot mid-range. But he misses. And then... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. This was interesting. Kyle Anderson. I'm sorry. He, LeBron also turns the ball over late. He, like, he almost sold after that three. Torian Prince got a steal on the inbounds, and LeBron took his legs out. I thought for a second it was a loose ball play on. People say, you know, LeBron took his legs out. To me, he dove and he hit his legs. Like, I don't know, man. To me, it's play ball. Like, just play ball. <laughs> Shit happens. Sometimes things risk injury. Like, I don't know, man. That's just me, though. Whatever. Anyway, last play of the game. I'm thinking to myself, 95 all. Get the ball to AD. He's done a good job closing games this season. Dallas on the road. Indiana on the road. Get him the ball. LeBron's bricking. I see LeBron hold the ball at the top. Like, okay, here we go. I see them set a screen. I'm wondering who they're trying to put in the action. But, and this is crazy to me. And it just shows Darvin Ham's trust in Schroeder. He drew up the play for a dead Schroeder left corner three. And LeBron, this was not like the normal pick and pop where they show he gives up the ball willingly. And then, you know, they shoot an open three where the defense wants him to pass. This was, he got two feet in the paint, found somebody wide open. He had no shot there. He made the right play here without debate. And it's not because he made the shot that it's no debate. It's just because I think the process of it, he drew the defense in. Made a good pass. Dennis Schroeder looked like he had made a game winner in a postseason game for the Lakers. That would have gone down in, I mean, not really. I mean, Laker history is so rich that it wouldn't have been really that crazy to remember. But good moment for his career. And it was ruined by AD fouling. Now, listen, on that three, I am a big, I'm, I'm okay with the landing space fouls because it is dangerous. But when you, as the offensive player, get two feet on the ground without it being, like, touched, when you get two feet planted on the ground without interference from the defender cl uh, closing out, 
It should not be a foul to me. I don't care if you lose your balance after the shot, after you land. I don't give a shit. I don't think that should be a foul. From the replay, I didn't see super, super close slow-mo. It looked like maybe their toes touched. First of all, Conley hitting a three with AD closing out with one second on the clock, that was far-fetched anyway. To me, I'm a big proponent of at the end of the game's last possession, you only call it if it's blatant. To me, that was not, and it was just too much officiating trying to interfere with the game to me. Honest to God, that's my opinion. That's my opinion. You can disagree. Over time, though, the adrenaline, the momentum was too much. The Lakers big began with Rui Hachimura hitting a big three. And I want to give Rui Hachimura a big shout-out. Defensively, he has really stepped it up lately. Like, especially one-on-one. -on -one. He had a couple of nice stops moving his feet, just contesting, staying strong in this game. And with him hitting a three, Dennis Schroeder putting the Lakers up five. I think the big play that ended the game was not really even a Laker play. Torian Prince, he got a steal again. Or was it Conley? I think Conley got the steal. On a D'Lo inbounds. And by the way, D'Lo was completely gone away from in this game. It was crazy. I mean, I, I consider him the third. I said he was the third best player on this team. But Darvin Ham, you know, he loves Schroeder. And Schroeder came through for him. But I don't know if it's always going to work out that way. And I think Dennis has had a lot of great games, ending games this season for the Lakers. But sometimes he just plays a lot for me. And in this game, it was fine. But Torian Prince misses the three that put have, could, put, could have tied the game. And then at that point, the Lakers were playing the foul game. AD had a bucket late. But I think Minnesota, just like against Memphis last year, they lost it. You had Austin Reeves on a switch multiple times, and Cat's not even going to post up. He's not even demanding the ball. Anthony Edwards, he's not even attacking the basket. He's settling so much. He's not attacking coming off those curls. It was just whack. It was just whack. Let's read the lines. The Minnesota Timberwolves blow it, and that's what happens when you have the two best players on the court. Minnesota loses 102 to 108. The Lakers outscore them 10 to 4 in overtime and get a comeback win. They trailed by as many as 15 comeback and win the game by six, which was actually their largest lead of the game. The Wolves shot 43% from the field. The Lakers only shot 41%. The Wolves shot 39% from three, though, 16 for 41. The Lakers only 32%, 10 for 31. But the Lakers, who have been terrible shooting the ball from the foul line, of late were 92% tonight from the line. That was huge. 22 for 24. The only person that missed was AD who missed two out of his six free throws. The Wolves were 14 for 15 from the line. The only miss coming from Anthony Edwards. Let's read the lines. I already read Jalen Noel, uh, J-Mac, Knight, the highest played bench player for the Wolves was Nikhil Alexander-Walker. 11 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists on 4 of 5 shooting in 23 minutes. I thought he was good, actually. But I respect the decision to play the starters so much. Torian Prince played 43 minutes. Thought he was exceptionally good in this game. 14 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 steals. Did a pretty good job on LeBron. 5 for 11 from the field and an amazing 4 for 7 from 3 in 43 minutes. I thought he was really good. Kyle Anderson, 12 points, 5 rebounds, 13 assists, 4 steals, and 4 blocks. Are you kidding me? The only thing I have to say about Kyle was that turnover at the end was very costly. And towards the end of the game, I think he struggled a little bit. But I think he was, I mean, come on. Are you going to ask for more from that from Kyle than that? He was 5 for 14, though, so not good inside the arc. Considering he was 2 for 5 from 3, that means he was 3 for 9 from 2, so not great there. 
Mike Conley, he was amazing. 23 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, and 3 steals and a block. 7 for 11 from the field. 6 for 8 from 3. 3 for 3 from the line. All three of those free throws at the end. He just knew he was going to make them. He's just a clutch player in 44 minutes of play. Anthony Edwards. 9 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, 3 blocks. So did a little bit of everything else but score. And they needed him to score. 4 turnovers. 3 for 17 from the field, 0 for 9 from deep. And see, that's the thing with Ant. IQ, you're shooting that poorly and you shot 9 threes out of 17 shot attempts when you're that athletic, dude. Do you not have a mid-range? That's a problem. The Lakers, off their bench, Malik Beasley, 5 points on 2 for 3 shooting, but defensively he doesn't do anything and he doesn't just do he doesn't do anything else. He has no intangibles. Um, he's good off the ball though, and he's a good shooter. Troy Brown, two points, one for five from the field. Rui Hachimura, his stat line won't really show it, but he had a plus twenty, plus minus. I thought he was really solid. Twelve points, three for eight from the field, two for five from deep, and four for four from the line. Dennis Schroeder, twenty-one points, four rebounds, two assists, one steal. It kind of all came out of nowhere with Dennis. 5 for 12 from the field, 3 for 4 from deep, and 8 for 8 from the line. So the three-point percentage and the free throw percentage, absolutely huge for Dennis. He was a game-high plus 22. It was just awesome. Oh, I forgot to read Carl Anthony Towns. 24 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, and 3 blocks. Amazing stats, but considering how well he was playing, he shouldn't be shooting only 12 shots. That's ridiculous. 66% from the field. Oh, it sounds great. Not enough shots. 2 for 4 from deep. 6 for 6 from the line. I don't give a shit how good your shooting splits are. You played 41 minutes, and you only shot 12 times. Not good enough. He was a plus 18. He was awesome. You know, won the game by 18 when he was on the court. Unfortunately, the game matters even when you're not on the court. So... Stars got to close, and the two best players on the court were on the purple and gold side. Austin Reeves, 12 points, 6 boards, 3 assists on 4 for 13 shooting and 1 for 5 from deep. Not a very good game for him. Vando had a donut on 0 for 2 shooting. In only 22 minutes, though, I still think he should play more. D'Lo, what a bad game for him. You know, the only thing I'll say is he still moves the ball well and still is a good passer because you got to respect his floater and his three. Two points, three boards, eight assists, and only one turnover. So we'll take you'll take that. But one for nine from the field, 0 for four from three in 24 minutes. Just didn't seem like he had that sense of urgency that he had in last year's playing game against us. And then the, the duo, the main guys. If I had to choose a player of the game in this one, I'm going to go with AD. I just think he battled really hard. LeBron, 30 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. One steal, two block, but five turnovers. Needs to do a better job taking care of the ball. Um, 12 for 21 from the field, though, for Braun. Three for six from deep and three for three from the line. So, as always, LeBron keeping it extremely efficient. Played 45 minutes, though. That's a lot. And you can see he had his hands on his knees in overtime. Both AD and him were gassed. So, if you're the Grizzlies, you got to run. you got to push this pace and try to just get them tired and exhausted over a seven-game series. Anthony Davis, 24 points, 15 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals, and 3 blocks. He also turned the ball over 5 times, but he was the highest plus minus of any Lakers starter, plus 9, 43 minutes, 10 for 19 from the field. And one thing I love and continue to love about AD this year, only one 3-point attempt. So, I love the aggression. He was the player of the game for me, but he needs 30 in a game like that in overtime, not 24. He needs more. But now we're going to move on to the Atlanta Hawks and the 
Miami Heat. And I get, I keep seeing the comments. What do I think of the Lakers Grizzlies series? Look, I'm going to be doing a playoff preview with a Laker fan. For the LA playoff previews, we're not going to have a fan from the opposing team because fuck them. This is the LA sports channel. We only looking at our side, baby. Fuck the rest, <laughs> even the Lakers. But I'm going to go with the, I'm going to just briefly, I'm not going to go in depth about it here, but I'm going to go with the Lakers in seven. Here's why I say seven. I don't think the Lakers are good enough to beat them in six, even with the, uh, the guys missing. I think that the Grizzlies' inexperience will show. They're going to have a cold game from three, and the Lakers, with their experience, will show up in a game seven in Memphis and win. But I think it's going to be the hard route. I don't think it'll be um, six games Lakers. And I think if Memphis wins, seven games as well. But I think the Lakers will be favored as a seventh seed, which is weird. But I think people are totally underestimating Memphis. If they had Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, I would pick Grizzlies in seven. But they don't, so I'm going to go with Lakers in seven. I'm usually not the guy that picks teams to win on the road in game seven because I think if you get to a game seven on the road, you've already lost for the most part. You're kind of having to beat the odds. Not kind of. You have to beat major odds. But I just don't trust the Grizzlies without those two bigs and the Lakers in a slower half-court game. The, the Grizzlies, when their threes not falling and jaws not getting shots at the rim, they got nothing. So even though they got the second-best defense in the league, I'm going with Lakers in seven. But I'm going to be talking about the Hawks and the Heat in just a second. Atlanta Hawks and Miami Heat, though. I had the Heat in this game. This is a rematch from last year's first round. And from the jump, I wanted to say something about the Heat. They're starting Max Struess at the four. Last year, Max Struess was starting the, the playoffs at the two with Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker, and Bam. Tonight, he started at the fucking four. It's no secret that the Miami Heat have been extremely thin at that spot all season. They brought in Kevin Love. I thought he was going to start, but he's old. He can't move defensively, and he's not the same offensive player he once was. And not just that, they're thin at the five, too. And in the beginning of the game, the Hawks were all over them. And mind you, you know, the Hawks have had a tumultuous season. Second coach, they've gotten fired in the last three years. Quinn Snyder's come in, and I think Quinn Snyder's a good coach. I mean, obviously, we're very familiar with him as a Clipper fan. We've played him twice in the playoffs. And it was a, clearly a point of emphasis for the Hawks to do two things. Run and crash the offensive glass. Miami is slow, man. They're slow. Like, they, they, they play very slow, and they're not very good in the half court. They have three shot creators. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero. That Honestly, that's it. Bam Adebayo is inconsistent, and Kyle Lowry is not what he once was, except for tonight. Kyle Lowry was the only player on the Miami Heat in that, in that first half, alongside Caleb Martin, that actually was trying out there, doing the best that they could do. Everybody else was head in the clouds. They completely underestimated the Hawks. Completely underestimated them. And I got to give credit to Trey Young. He was the best player on the floor in this game. And he set the tone immediately in the pick and roll. One thing that was interesting about the Hawks, uh, the Heat last year, is they were really switch heavy in that starting lineup. Really switch heavy. What they did is they switched everything, even with Bam guarding Trey. And usually they would, you know, have Lowry tag out and guard, you know, when he was switched on to a big tag out and go to the wing and they'd have somebody come sink in. And all they do is completely load up off Trey, force him to make a play, cut off every single one of his driving lanes. So all he could do is just shoot a three contested. And it worked. He didn't do anything. They attacked him on defense. He just got bullied. The physicality was crazy. But in this game, they went with Bam dropping. I don't know exactly why. I think without P.J. Tucker, their defense isn't as good. 
But they went with Bam dropping, and when you drop against Trey Young, he can get in the lane and hit the floaters. But the thing about the Hawks, and I think this is what their strategy was, is DeAndre Hunter has had a not-so-great year from three, and John Collins has had a putrid year from three. So DeAndre Hunter is shooting 35% from three. John Collins is shooting, I believe, 31% from three. No, 29 so that was their strategy. But the thing is, and DeJounte Murray, you know, he's not the best catch-and-shoot three-point guy. He's shooting only 34%. So I think the strategy was just take away Trey Young, take away Capella on the lob, let's force them to shoot threes. But they were making them in the beginning. So then that forced them to adjust a little bit, try to stay home, and Trey Young was cooking. And then, so the Hawks, after one, led 36-27. to 27. But I also think the Heat offensively were shooting themselves in the foot because Bam and Jimmy Butler were missing chippy after chippy after chippy. It was insane. Bam Adebayo was missing shots like right around the rim. Jimmy Butler was missing layups. He was turning the ball over. It was just weird. It was very out of character for Jimmy Butler. Bam, I've seen that before, but this is supposed to be playoff Jimmy Butler. And he was just out of sorts in the first half. I also think like he was going up weak at the rim. One thing that Jimmy does such a good job of is he'll jump stop and pump fake and he takes advantage of all these undisciplined ass defenders that bump jump for every single one of his fakes. Quinn Snyder talked about it in one of those post uh, quarter interviews and he said the main thing about keeping Jimmy off the foul line is don't go for his shot fakes. The only person on that Hawks team that I saw not go for his shot fake was John Collins at one point in this game. But Capella and Okongwu did such a good job staying disciplined, though, around the rim. They were blocking everything. There was one stretch where Jimmy got, like, three straight shots blocked because he was pump faking. Instead of jumping right into the chest of the defender, he was pump faking and trying to go around, like, do these little leaners off the glass. And Capella was smacking that shit. And Onyek, the, the, the Hawks bench was the massive difference maker in this game. They have a nine-man rotation now, and it looks pretty good. Bogdan Bogdanovich, Jalen Johnson... Onyeka Kamu, shout out to USC. And of course, uh, I shouldn't say of course, but Sadiq Bey, who came over in that midseason trade with the Pistons. So, Sadiq Bey, Jalen Johnson, Big O, and Bogdanovich, they were unbelievable when they came in. Bogdanovich was doing really well in the pick and roll, making plays. You know what he can do. He's an instant offense guy. Coming to hit pull-ups, he can hit the three ball. Although his three ball seemed a little bit off in this game. Yeah, two for eight from three, but three for three inside the arc. So that tells you exactly what I saw in the eye test. But he made a good impact. Anybody that can come in the game and get you 14 points and, you know, two assists. And also he had two steals. You'll take that all day. But Jalen Johnson... He did a good job of attacking closeouts, getting offensive rebounds, and showing off his size. I mean, the Hawks, they had way more size than the Heat. The problem with the Heat is they're puny. Outside of Bam, Bam comes out of the game. They put Kevin Love at the five, guys. Kevin Love at the five, and you're wondering why they were getting cooked. At the five? Oh, my God. And you know who's rotating? Kyle Lowry, Max Strews, Gabe Vincent. These guys are tiny. You're playing Max Struess at the four, Caleb Martin at the four, Jimmy Butler at the four, and you got guys like DeAndre Hunter, Jalen Johnson, Sadiq Bey, it looks like a massive guy out there against these guys. The Miami Heat without, like that P.J. Tucker loss was insanely massive, insanely massive. Like this Heat team, their role players have regressed, but they are so thin, you know, so thin. It's, it's pretty funny in my opinion.
And the Hawks dominated. They dominated the glass. They looked more athletic. Jalen. So when Love was in, because it was so bad, they went to a 2-3 zone for a couple possessions. And Jalen Johnson attacked the closeouts and was making plays. Onyeka Kong was getting a bunch of dump downs. He was rolling to the basket well. He was being found. He was blocking shots. He was everywhere. He was everywhere. And... Kyle Lowry was the only reason the Heat were in the game. He was getting two feet in the paint. He was turning the corner well on pick and rolls. They were attacking Trey relentlessly. Relentlessly. But on the other end, the Hawks were attacking Hero relentlessly. And Hero was getting in foul trouble. And what sucked about that was he was one of the only Heat players that was actually playing well offensively and shooting well from the field. Because the Heat were like 38% at halftime shooting the ball. Tyler Hero was like 50% though. He actually balled in terms of his shot attempts, but he probably would have played 40 minutes in this game and only played 35 because he struggled with fouls. But Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, by the way, he was slower in the first half, but his defense is just really good. Like, you're not going to put DeJounte in the action because he's a good defender. He's gonna, he, has, he has long arms. He fights over screens, all that. And, um, you know, it, it was also tough that DeAndre Hunter was in foul trouble because he started out the game hitting a couple of jump shots. But... The Hawks dominating on the offensive glass because the Heat were so small. And, and you know, when you're going to switch other matchups and Bam gets, you know, brought out of the key, the Jimmys, the Struces, the Martins, the Lowrys, the Heroes, these guys are going to be guarding bigger guys and have to box out. And they were failing in every aspect doing so. And it's like you're putting them in a tough spot there. And by the way, like they have Tyler Zeller, or I'm sorry, Cody Zeller. And, you know, they only played him four minutes. It was nothing there. Victor Oladipo who I think was his game five that closed out the Hawks last year. He played really well. He's been kind of, you know, in and out with injury all year and hasn't really been healthy after that 2018 uh, Indiana season. Only nine minutes for Hero, only four minutes for Zeller, only three minutes for Love. So they only really, they went seven deep with Lowry and Martin. And and Kyle Lowry, it wasn't just his free throws and getting two feet in the paint. His three ball was falling too. And the, the Hawks, though, led 65 to 50 at the half, but I just knew, I still felt at that point the Heat were going to win, I just had that confidence in them, and in the third quarter, they came out like a totally different team, totally different team, and it starts with Jimmy and Bam, you know, again, Bam Adebayo sometimes has glimmers of post game, a jump hook, a running hook, but much like Anthony Davis, even worse, he's not aggressive at all, he never demands the ball, he just wants to be a pick and roll guy, and you know, after the game, he said, we got to find ways to give me the ball more. Not every single play do I see Spolster calling out a set. You can go ask for the fucking ball. Okay? I'm tired of the excuses with Bam. He's averaging 20 and 10. We said at the beginning of the season that he's taken a little bit of a leap offensively, and now it's regressed. He has to make bigger steps offensively, or he will not be the second best player on a championship team. I still have my doubts, kind of, about Jimmy being the best player on a championship team, because I still think that's the hardest thing to do in basketball, to be that clear-cut man. But last year in the playoffs, it was not Butler's fault they lost at all. He did what he could. He honestly outplayed Jason Tatum in that series. But Bam, he left a lot to be desired at times. But the Heat, I mean, slow, old, just... And Kyle Lowry was there playing the best. I mean, Trey Young, though, he continued to cook. Some of the passes he was making was, were fantastic. Uh, Sadiq Bey hit two threes in the first half. And he, I, I talked to, you know, Koo from the host of Locked On Pistons, and he was saying that Bay is, like, one of the worst defenders he's ever seen in his life. But... It's, I'm going to say this. First of all, scenery can change everything, just like we've seen with Russell Westbrook, but you can hide 6'7 a lot easier than you can hide 6'2. And that's why Sadiq Bey was still out there doing okay on defense because unlike a Tyler Hero, who's not 6'2, 
or a Trey Young, who, by the way, Trey Young was getting attacked relentlessly, and they were getting a lot of success, by the way. Hero was getting buckets. You know, they were getting good looks. Max Struess finally hit a three. But Hero, but Trey Young is doing so many good things offensively that it's balancing out. That's the whole thing with guys like that. If you're going to get attacked on defense, you have to be great offensively. Trey Young's exceptional, and he's one of the best pick-and-roll players in that I've ever seen, honestly, pick-and-roll players. And I think that people are starting to become a little too accustomed to what Trey Young does. I think we've started taking for granted a little bit. I know he's not the most aesthetically pleasing player to everybody. A lot of people don't like his foul baiting stuff. And I think this was a perfect example of how Trey Young needs to play. It wasn't too much foul baiting. He still got to the line. He didn't force it. I think he got everybody involved. I think he could have gotten DeJounte a little bit more touches at times. Um, but DeJounte also needs to not settle. He was taking too many pull-up uh, jumpers in the beginning. But as the game went on, you saw exactly why they brought DeJounte Murray into this team. You know, Miami made a push. Jimmy was getting going. He had a good third quarter. Hero had a good third quarter. Started to make some threes. Started to make some mid-ranges. You know, the Heat outscored the Hawks by two in the third, 28-26. They got it down to five. But I think this is a sign of a good team. And I think the Hawks, when they play like this, are absolutely a good team. Is you're up by a lot. You went up by 24 points. The Heat closed the gap at halftime. But you know the home team is going to make a push. The crowd's going to get involved. And by the way, Miami Heat crowd, second best tonight. Lakers were crowd was much better. The Heat fans, and I, obviously that was part of it. Part of that was because, you know, they gave them nothing to cheer about. But the Laker crowd, I mean, the Heat crowd was dormant in this game. Dormant for most of it. And only in the third quarter they were getting going. But the Hawks did a great job of answering back that run. You know, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray stagger in that second, and you know, after one of them comes out. And I thought that DeJounte Murray did a good job of getting to his spots in that fourth quarter, getting two feet in the paint, making those. Like, all he needs is two feet in the paint, rise and pull. Get into that in-between game. That's where DeJounte Murray's fantastic. Get into the in-between game, get to your pull-up, get to the rim. Don't settle for jumpers beyond the foul line, beyond, you know, the, the you know 18-foot circle you got to keep getting two feet in the paint. And one thing I found really interesting in this game is that the pe- the person that – I said the hero that the Hawks were going at, but the person they were going at even more than hero that last year was actually a decent defender even though he was targeted at times, only at times when he was playing with other great defenders, was Max Struess. Max Struess was getting abused. Abused. DeJounte scored on him one-on-one. Trey got around him one-on-one. John Collins scored on him in the post. And John Collins, you know, for all his criticism he gets from Hawks fans, I think he needs a change of scenery to be fed the ball and see if he actually has a little mid-post game, a little turn-and-face game in the mid-range area, you know? And he shows glimpses every time I watch him. And then the second half was no different. He had a nice little turnaround over the right shoulder, had a nice little jump hook. John Collins, Trey Young, DeAndre Hunt, uh, I'm sorry, DeJounte Murray, these guys did a great job of... Answering the run, but the main story of this game, the main story, as always in the playoffs, and it's really ironic that it comes against the Miami Heat, whose president coined the phrase, no rebounds, no rings. If you can not get stops and rebounds, you will not win anything. The Hawks dominated the offensive glass, dominated. Clint Capella was looking like fucking Zelmo Beatty out there. If you don't know who that is, please look him up. Might be the most underrated player in history of basketball. 
Clint Capella was everywhere. Onyeka Kongwu was everywhere. Other guys were chipping in and getting rebounds. The Heat, you know, they just couldn't make enough shots. Kyle Lowry was trying hard. He was hitting everything coming off screens for threes. Like, whether it be flare screens or curls, he was knocking shit down. And the, the, they were getting Trey Young involved in the action. But the whole fourth quarter, Hero was getting targeted, and the Hawks were getting good stuff. And the rebounds ultimately were the difference. The Hawks withstand the push. They win it 116 to 105, getting their sweetest revenge over the Miami Heat. And in my opinion, you can argue that Capella or Okongwu, probably Capella because he had 21 rebounds. But in my opinion, the player of the game, Trey Young. He was shining brighter than Jimmy. He dictated the pace of this game from start to finish. He made good reads. And I just thought he kept his poise. And considering, you know, the ringer just released something about, oh, the, the front office is considering trading, uh, willing to trade him. He kept his poise. He showed up. He got the job done. And he won his third consecutive playing game. And the Hawks are headed back to the playoffs for the third straight time in the Clint Capella era. <laughs> Let's read the lines. What a, by the way, so for the Miami Heat, they're old. They're slow. What could they have done differently? Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo played like shit. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Atlanta, they're bench players. Oh, my God. Amazing. Every, when every single one of your bench players is in double figures, you know you've done something right. 53 bench points for the Hawks. 53 bench points. That's fantastic. Tw uh, 14 minutes for Jalen Johnson. He had 10 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 steals. And I would like to think that Nate McMillan wasn't playing him that much because I don't remember him playing this much. I did watch him play live against the Clippers, and in the vlog, he's there. But this tells me that he was playing more, and um, he played great. He was awesome. Huge putback dunk with one hand, by the way, in the second half. 10 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, 3 steals on 5 for 8 shooting in just 14 minutes. That's insane production. 20 minutes for the big O. Okay, for Oscar. The great Oscar Robertson. Please forgive me for saying that. Double O. Onyeka Kongu O squared. 12 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, 4 blocks on 5 for 6 shooting in 20 minutes. He was amazing. And I think he's a really good player. Um, I know a lot of Hawks fans kind of want to look forward to him starting in the future. I still think Capella's a good player, though. But Hawks Fan TV, my good man, Hawks Fan TV, uh, I hope to get him on to preview the series against Boston. He was hosting the space after the game, talking his shit, as he should. And one of the people on there was saying that we got the best backup center in the league. So you let me know. Is Onyeka Kongu the best backup center in NBA? I, thought he, I think it was. Yeah, I'm just going to keep going. Then the other two bench players, Bogdanovich, 14 points, two assists, two rebounds on five for 11 shooting, two for eight from three in 26 minutes. Thought he was really good. He was the highest plus minus of any Hawk with plus 10. Sadiq Bey shot the second most shot attempts of any Hawk, 17 points and six boards, but 17 points. I mean, seven for 17 from the field. He wasn't very efficient from three, shooting only 33%, three for nine. But, and he played 33 minutes because DeAndre Hunter was in foul trouble. But if you get 17 points off the bench from Sadiq Bey, you'll take that all day. And the starters, DeAndre Hunter only played 23 minutes, 6 points, 6 boards, on 2 of 9 shooting and 0 for 2 from 3. I think those 6 points may have all come in the first quarter. John Collins also only played 22 minutes, 10 points, 4 boards, 2 assists, also had 4 fouls, 
four for eight from the field, one for four from deep. So again, when he gets the ball in a go-to situation inside the arc, he looks a lot better. When he's just a pick-and-pop big, I don't like him. But John Collins did a good job with the glass. Three offensive rebounds in this game. But speaking of offensive rebounds, eight of them from Clint Capella, four of them from Sadiq Bey, three from Jalen Johnson, but eight offensive rebounds, 21 rebounds overall to go along, which is four points, two blocks. Clint Capella affected so many shots too. And not, it's not just the blocks. It's how many shots you affect. And Clint Capella did that amazingly. For the Heat, who embarrassed themselves in this game. And by the way, the Hawks shot 16 for 27 from the foul line. They shot terribly from the foul line. And Clint Capella was a part of that. One for, I'm sorry, 0 for 4. And they looked like he had gotten worse at shooting free throws. Yeah. John Collins, 1 for 3. But anyway, the, the Heat. Oladipo played 9 minutes and got a donut. One shot attempt, missed a 3. Cody Zeller, 4 minutes, only 2 points and 3 rebounds. The Heat didn't even consider going to Yurtsevin or this Highsmith character that I've seen get minutes lately, Haywood Highsmith. Didn't go to either of them. But Haywood Highsmith's six four, so it doesn't matter with the bigs. So you wouldn't expect him to play. But yeah, the Heat have a serious problem. They have one center that's playable, and they have no fours that are playable, it seems. That's a huge issue. Your front court is so weak against a team that had athletes. So we'll see if the Heat can beat... Um, who are they going to play? Atlanta? I'm sorry, Toronto or Chicago? If they play Toronto, they're in serious trouble Seri with how big they are. They're in serious trouble. This Miami team, I can see it now. I can see exactly now. That's crazy that one player makes that much of a difference. Um, and, and he's not even having that great of a season to me, with, with at least statistically, with Philly. But he's probably doing things that I don't see. Because P.J. Tucker is one of those guys. That he does things that don't go on the stat sheet. The guys that guard the best players on other teams, they're invaluable. Um... Yeah, that was even Dwayne Denman was better than this. Like to me, seriously, even Dwayne Denman was better. But ooh, the Heat. Yeah, Cody Zeller, four minutes, two points. Kevin Love, three minutes, two points. Um, he was just bleeding points when he was in. Caleb Martin needed him to hit one of those threes. He was over two from deep, over three overall. Had a donut, but he was the only one that was even doing anything on Trey Young, picking him up full court, just trying his best. It wasn't his fault that they were getting torched by him. To me, it's just very hard to guard those pick and rolls with Trey Young, dude. He's slick. Max Struess, one for five from the field. All his shots were threes, three points. It's just not good enough. Gabe Vincent exited the game with an injury. I hope he's okay. Six points for him, three rebounds and two assists. On two for six from the field, all his shots were threes, so a combined nine points from Vincent and Struess. It's not going to get it done. Lowry, though, had his season high, 33 points, four rebounds, and five assists, and zero turnovers. He was incredible in this game. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. 11 for 16 from the field. He's still too small defensively, though, just not the defender he once was. Six for nine from deep, 66%. He was just on one. Five for five from the line. What a performance by Lowry. And then the big three for the Heat. Tyler Hero. I thought he did what you wanted him to do. His defense is not going to be very good. But I think Struces was worse. 26 points and six boards for Hero. Two steals as well on 12 for 23 shooting. So very efficient. But two for nine from three and did not get to the line. So not great in that respect. Bam Adebayo, 12 points, nine rebounds, four assists, three steals, and two blocks. I think defensively, he turned it up in the second half, you know, helping out at the right time, getting a couple of steals, blocking some shots, switching on to Trey Young and doing a little bit better. But overall, 
you know, he needs to be way more aggressive offensively. 12 points is a joke, and 12 shot attempts is also a joke. Um, Jimmy Butler, I just think it was just a bad game for him. He'll bounce back. Uh, if he plays two bad home games in a row, that'd be bad. But 21 points, four boards, nine assists, two steals and a block. Those don't sound too bad, but 21 points, it's under his season average. And Jimmy Butler always increases his average in the playoffs. Six for 19 from the field is under 33%, so that's pretty shitty. And then nine for 11 from the line. You know he's always going to get to the line. 38 minutes of play. It's a Stars League. You saw it in the last game. When the Lakers had the best two players in the game. That's why they won. Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards shit the bet at the end. Anthony Davis and LeBron are really good, you know? And Trey Young was better than Bam or Jimmy in this game, and they won. Did I say DeJounte Murray stat line? I didn't even, I didn't even do Trey Young and DeJounte Murray like an idiot. <laughs> DeJounte Murray, he started out 3 for 11, 4 for 5 to end the game. 18 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 7 for 16 from the field, 3 for 8 from 3 in 37 minutes. They exactly what you needed him to do. Trey Young, 25 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. He still turned the ball over 5 times, so you want to limit that. But 25, 8, and 7 on 8 for 18 shooting. The only thing is he was 1 for 8 from 3. I think some of those threes are just too deep. I know he makes them, but I think he should only take some of those when, they're in, when he's in rhythm. Some of them are just unnecessary to me. Um, but yeah, 24% from 3 for the Hawks, and they still won. That's because they dominated on the offensive glass. 22 offensive rebounds for the Heat. I'm sorry, for the, for the Hawks. Six for the Heat and second chance points were, I'm pretty sure they had at least 25. They don't have second chance points on ESPN for whatever reason, but they had at least 25 second chance points. It was terrible. I mean, for Miami, just absolutely terrible. And this is the thing. When the Hawks play like this, they're a good team, a team that you expected to take a step up this season with DeJounte Murray. But now you're basically in the same spot you were last year, playing against the team that many are picking to win the championship. More people are picking the Celtics this year to win the championship than the Heat last year. The Heat have, uh, Hawks have a tough series on their hands. I got the Celtics in five. Um, and I think with Quinn Snyder next year, they can build. We'll see what happens with John Collins and all that. But 25, 8, and 7 on 8 for 18 shooting and 8 for 9 from the foul line. Trey Young, have yourself a night. You did it. You were the man. Miami now has to play against the winner of Toronto and Chicago again. So. Miami and Milwaukee 2021 rematch, 2020 rematch, part three. It's looking like it. That's it for me tonight, guys, though. A one hour and 10 minute episode for the first two playing games. That is going to need to change. <laughs> I went way too in depth. Uh, I just try to do my best to give you as much content as you, as you need and also just try to cover everything. I want to cover everything, every strategic decision, every performance of a player, everything. But, yeah, doing two games, going to have to do less than an hour and ten minutes. But Laker game went overtime. We went to overtime. It's a no big deal. Saturday and Sunday going to be crazy, though. I have four games each day to recap. Holy fuck. But tomorrow night, same drill. Toronto and Chicago and New Orleans and OKC. I got New Orleans and I got Toronto winning those games. And I'll be live and they won't be as long because it's not a Laker live. And when it's, when it's the home team and obviously, you know, the Clippers are my team, but the Lakers are a main team of this channel. It's the Lakers and the Lakers and the Clippers are the only teams we cover consistently anymore. 2021 was a phase, but now it's only Lakers and Clippers. The LA Sports Hub, LA Basketball Hub. So that's just how it is. It's the Lakers and Clippers channel mainly uh, throughout the NBA season. But now it's everybody. We got to, we got to talk about everybody. And I get to talk about the Heat, do different things like that. Talk about the Cavs and Knicks. That video is coming out tomorrow. Dallas Mavericks, what went wrong? Check that out. 
you're not going to get better content, man, in terms of authenticity, in my opinion, anywhere. So please subscribe. Please comment on this video the second it's over because we want to keep the algorithm strong. We are getting really good views lately. Please comment on this video when it ends. Peace.